Greetings and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Greg Levin. Now, Greg's a pretty funny guy who writes some pretty dark books uh, at times that are tinged with uh, gallows humor. Uh, he's a quick wit and a cool guy, and uh, I, I've been looking forward to getting a chance to chat with him in person for quite some time. Is uh, another one of those writers that I have become friends with uh, entirely virtually and finally meeting up uh, for this very podcast. So you're there for that first encounter. Now, before we talk to Greg, I do need to let you know that Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that's the kind of stuff you enjoy, you can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books. Take the journey with us. Uh, speaking of Down and Out Books, they just today, on the same day that this podcast is dropping, uh, released the 27th episode of A Grifter's Song, Low White Plain, by Paul J. Garth. Now, if you aren't familiar with A Grifter's Song, this is a serial novella anthology series that I created. I edit it uh, and occasionally write an episode. Uh, this episode by Paul J. Garth is uh, beautifully written, very enjoyable to read. The language uh, is, is uh, well, he has a very unique voice, and I think you'll enjoy it. The story is dark. Uh, I won't give anything away, but uh, it's uh, a little spooky. Uh, coming on the heels of Cat Richardson's uh, last month, having some supernatural elements, this one tends more toward the evil. But it's a great con, a great setting, very well written. I think you'll enjoy it. Low White Plane by Paul J. Garth, episode 27 of A Grifter Song from Down and Out Books, available now. All right, let's get into this interview with Greg Levin. Now, I will apologize a little bit for the audio quality when you're talking to someone halfway around the world. Sometimes the audio isn't as great. With that caveat, let's meet Greg Levin. Well, hey, Greg, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Frank. I'm so happy to be here. Well, your, your voice is coming a long ways to do that, uh, all the way from Sydney, Australia. That is correct, sir. I'm uh, just finished breakfast here. You're probably getting ready for dinner. I'm contemplating it. Yeah. Well, anybody listening can tell that your uh, voice does not have the familiar dulcet tones of Australian accent. Uh, so uh, you sound like a, an American living abroad. Yeah, actually. Um, yeah, I just got here almost exactly a year ago. Uh, my wife and I landed. We moved from Austin. Um I'm from the Northeast originally, but ended up in Austin, Texas, and landed here May 18th, so about a year and a day ago. We just celebrated our arrival anniversary, and yeah, I haven't picked up the accent yet, and I'm getting better at imitating it, but I won't do it here because I'll still sound—I still sound either like uh, the Crocodile Hunter Steve Irwin or or Crocodile Dundee. Either way, I sound like somebody who wrestles with cro crocodiles when I try to do the accent. <laughs> What brought you down there to Australia? Was you, your, your wife's work or? No, it's a good question. My wife, even though she sounds as American as I, she is an Australian citizen. Her dad, uh, her dad's from Mel was originally from just outside of Melbourne, and they, they live in Sydney. My wife lived in Sydney as a from age like 
I don't know. She was born in Indonesia, lived in Sydney from like nine to, sorry, age like like ninth grade to like 11th grade or something, or eighth grade to 11th grade, moved to the U.S. after that. But yeah, we'd always talked about, how, I mean, I basically married her for the vacations. You know, we were in Austin. <laughs> her family has a has a home in, in Bali and a home in, in Sydney. So I'm like, uh, will you marry me? I think it was on the first date, maybe the second. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we always talked about possibly moving. I thought we should have moved to Bali because our money would have been worth a lot more, but uh, it's a little easier to work and do things like that in, uh, in Sydney. So uh, we were going to do it later on, but, you know, COVID and not that Australia didn't have COVID, but certain political things happening in the country, we were just like, maybe we get out before all hell breaks loose. <laughs> How's the culture <laughs> shock been? Uh, it's interesting. It's, um, I don't, I don't really have, it's, you know, everybody here speaks English uh, with a, a beautiful accent. Uh, it's more, um, yeah, I can't really say it's culture shock. I'm somewhat of a creature of habit though. So everything got disrupted uh, in some good ways and in some bad ways. I was told, oh, you'll go through some, some depression. And I'm like, no way, you know, I haven't been depressed since like, like two months ago. I'm fine. And, <laughs> and yeah, I will admit definitely the creative, maybe it was 14 days in quarantine, but I, I haven't been knocking it out of the park. I used to write every day. I would never miss a day. And in the last uh, year, you know, I'll, I've missed, I've taken weeks off and just to get right. Uh, it's so beautiful here too, that it's hard to sit inside and write all day uh, or every day because I'm surrounded by sea cliffs and just amazing weather. People are super friendly. Food's really good. Um, I miss my, you know, I left behind uh, octogenarian parents who were totally cool to be moving. They're like, oh, we'll come visit you. They're true adventurers. They're like, don't stay in this country for us. So I'm, you know, I miss my parents. Um, my daughter moved to Spain just before I moved to Australia. So uh, she lived with us from age 13 to age 20. Moved to Spain, which is where she was born and i was like oh i'm moving to australia so it's like we're both going to be moving i'll be closer but then you look at a map and you can't be farther away from spain when you're, there's no place farther away than, than spain from australia so it's my 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 daughter but overall it's uh it's nice i've got family here you know it's not just my wife and i landed and we're trying to make friends her, her mom and dad are here her sister and our brother-in-law are here but yeah it's slowly but surely i don't to a Sydney Writers Festival yesterday. I'm getting more into the writer, the writerly world. And the uh, the electric plugs are the same, or are they different? Did you need to get a different? Very different. And uh, we've made the mistake a couple times trying to save money. Like my wife ordered a crock pot, <laughs> and uh, usually we try to buy local just for you know being green and all that. But um, we buy on locally or local Amazon at least, so it ships from clothes. But yeah, we've made a few mistakes. We brought things over knowing we'd have to use our adapter until we replace things. But we've, the bonehead move is when you buy, once you're here, you buy something, oh, we'll just get it from the US, it's cheaper. And, you, and we'll, even with the shipping, it's cheaper. And then it gets here and it's like, oops, oops. Crock <laughs> pot with an American outlet. Dumb. Well, one of the ways you seem to have been coping the last year is by, uh, posting on Twitter. Um, you've had a pretty high profile there, at least in my, in my feed. Um, and you seem to be one of those few people, uh, who have, uh, somewhat mastered the medium. 
Wow. That's interesting. I'd rather be known for my books than my tweets, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> sadly, I uh, tend to have, yeah, it's, I think people think I'm a, maybe a bigger deal. I, I, I'm hardly, I'm crushing it on Twitter. I mean, I get like 10, 15, maybe 20 likes on a typical tweet, but yeah, it, it's hard to get one or two in this world. So it's just, I just, I'm good at, I think, uh, venting through humor, I guess, you know, there's a lot of hyperbole in my tweets and I'm not really that, you know, mentally ill or going crazy with writing or drinking all the time, but it just, I find it connects the same things I find that connect uh, with other writers when I'm out with them, when I'm in person with other writers at conferences and that kind of uh, commiseration. I think it goes a long way. I do very much promotion on Twitter. I kind of hope that people will see the sense of humor and maybe, oh, it sounds interesting. Maybe I'll check out his books. But yeah, master is a strong word. I just haven't fallen flat on my face. Like it's so easy to do on Twitter. People with much more talent, with much more important things to say than I do, some sometimes just don't get traction on Twitter. Who knows why? Well, I would encourage people to follow you. Uh, it, it is dark humor. It is uh, definitely paints the uh, humorous picture of a depressed, drinking, reveling in failure kind of a persona <laughs> that I know isn't accurate, but it's still kind of funny. And uh, yeah, I'm sure my agent loves it. Try to look a winner once in a while, huh? <laughs> well, you know, once you have Sorry, a brand. <laughs> well, the, she likes it. The, the humor, you know, kind of feeds into your your style of novels, though. I mean, if, if someone were to look at the uh, three novels that you've got on your website, and that's uh, greglevin.com, pretty, pretty easy to remember, folks. Um, all of them have a slightly off kilter, offbeat, sort of dark angle to them. I'm glad you didn't just say you write funny novels because I, I don't try to write, I don't write humor novels. I write, you know, dark novels with some pretty dark themes. And the humor just comes because the humor comes naturally from the situations. Like one of my novels is about a guy who poses, and this is based on, there are people who do this for a living or volunteer. They, a guy who poses as a pedophile, as a sex trucker, to help um, set up stings. So he's actually going, pretending to be the one of the worst people in the world, uh, to get parties where pimps, well, you know, they travel the globe, pimps bring in, sadly, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old girls. And he's helping, and then they, he has to act like he's a client, and then just in time, please come in and they bust him. There's nothing funny about sex trafficking, but there's a lot of humor that guys like that, like my protagonist and his, and his cohorts use to survive. I mean, you can't have a job like that and not have a dark sense of humor. So I, I kind of pride myself on not making, I have another novel about um, people who are terminally ill. Uh, and there's a guy who owns a party supply store and he uses helium, the, the book, the exit man, he uses something he has ready access to helium. Um, to help them end their lives with dignity. It's actually, I'm not going to talk about what, how it's easy to use helium to kill yourself, but it's a it's done right. It's a it's a kind of a painless way to go. And um, I'm not making light of terminal illness or suggesting people off themselves. It's it's the humor comes just from you know the the contrast of owning a party supply store. You're selling like party tents one minute and then. And then you're selling helium to someone who's got brain cancer. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, 
life is crazy. I don't know how you can I don't know how every book doesn't have humor, really. I mean, humans are the only beings that we know of that have uh that were completely aware of our own deaths. So the moment you gain consciousness really five, six, seven years old when you start to understand how things are gonna go down, it's a dark comedy. <laughs> the fact that you keep going yeah. is a dark comedy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I dig dark comedy. Uh, so you're preaching to the choir, um, and gallows humor is something I'm very familiar with. Having having done the uh, job of of uh, being a police officer for 20 years, there's some, some pretty ha- pretty harsh gallows humor that comes along with that. And and of course, even in that job, you're hanging out with you know emergency responders and emergency room doctors and nurses and you know coroners and you know all all people surrounding the same uh, group of circumstances. And so everyone employs gallows humor to some degree. And and sometimes it's funnier than than shit, to be honest with you. But if you take a step back from it, it's horrible. You know, I mean, and, and so I've been in situations where I've been with other cops or other emergency workers and, and somebody's telling a story, uh, maybe me, that is totally gallows humor and we're laughing and somebody who is not in the field is, uh, uh, just absolutely just completely horrified by it. They're, you know, they don't, they don't get it. And we look like unfeeling assholes, you know, and, and I get it. I understand why someone, you know, with a different set of experiences would feel that way. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a psychological defense. Everybody knows that it's not, uh, not a big mystery. Exactly. And it's, um, it's a perfect example. I mean, I, I, I knew you were a cop. I, could, I had forgotten. And that's, I can imagine how that was definitely a survival tactic uh, and a therapeutic method for you. I often say that when I'm writing, I know if I'm going too far. Sometimes I'm like, oh, because I can be funny. I mean, I just, uh, I had older brothers and the way I survived to keep them kicking my ass was I was funny. So if I find myself just writing, just joking too much um, in my books, the test for me is I need to be reading and like, some pages laughing and some pages crying and some pages like getting the chills. If I'm not getting that from my own writing that I, I kind of, I, I redo it because I can go on like two, three pages of just kind of joking and dialogue and stuff. And it's like, Oh great. This, now I'm writing a sitcom and not a, not really a gripping book. <laughs> so yeah. There's a fine line between comedy and tragedy. You know I mean? They, they dance pretty close, close together on the dance floor. Yep. There's a movie called Road to Perdition, one of my favorite lines, and Daniel Craig has a small part in it, and he's quiet. He has this kind of permigrant on him. He's like this dark guy in this gangster world. And the boy who's like um, who's growing up in this world walks up to him one day, hanging out like their hideout or whatever, and you know, there's death going on, all, you know, murders and, and whacking going on all the time. And he asks Daniel Craig's character, why are you always smiling? And Daniel Craig just stares at him like, sound feels like 30 seconds. He just goes, it's all so fucking hilarious. <laughs> and that line, oh man, it gives me chills. Like it just like, I crack up right here and I get chills. I'm just, it's, it's such a perfectly delivered line. It's like, I, I'll watch the movie all over again just to see it. <laughs> and that's how I feel. It is. It's all, it, all the shit is happening, all the horrors and all the injustice. It's, sorry, I shouldn't say injustice, but like, you know, cause I'm, rather protected from a lot of the things that some people have to deal with, but just the tragedies and you, you, you just, it's, it's in a way it's hilarious. And if you don't, if you can't somehow find a way to laugh at the, you know, laughter in the dark, 
uh, you're going to go insane. Yeah. In some cases, humor is whistling past the graveyard, right? Almost literally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, well, you alluded to two of these books. I want to touch on all three of them real quick. So if people have an idea what, what they're in for, if they, uh, if they go tripping down the, uh, Greg fantastic, um, and so <laughs> if I'm going out of order, please correct me. But uh, The Exit Man is the first one, right? Yeah, that's the earliest one of the three. And that's the one with the guy who owns the party store and and, and essentially becomes an agent of, of euthanasia. Yeah, he becomes – it, 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 it's a little more gripping before half the world started making uh, voluntary euthanasia legal. <laughs> it was a lot more dark before. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the book that – really started making me think, I think, I mean, I can do that. Maybe I can be a novelist because it got uh, some decent reviews. And then, you know, and it was indie you know, it didn't have a public, you know, I put it out myself and then I got uh, an HBO option, which I just, just blew my mind, you know, wow. it didn't get, eventually didn't get greenlit and then Showtime actually optioned it. So um, it's, there's still a chance it'll get, Showtime also didn't renew it, but now someone else is looking at it. I won't say who, but um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm very proud of it. It's, it's my wife's favorite book because of the story, but as any writer will, will say, they're usually their most recent book, I think, is their best book because your writing gets better. Mm -hmm. Like there's structural things in that novel, which not horrible, but I'm like, oh, I wouldn't do that. You know, I could be 50 pages less than that novel, um, but I'm you know, quite proud of it. And people seem to really like the, the universal humanity of it. Like we all die. We all have people who are going to die. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm proud of it. Yeah, we don't have a choice about whether to be born or not. We should at least have a choice about about our death if we if exactly. we if we want to make it. And then the the next one is sick to death, <laughs> and this one is kind of uh, stars a, a character, a great a gay jatter, who almost could be a client of the guy in the first book if he if he decided to be right. He's kind of in that wheelhouse in a way. So he's not in The Exit Man, but people ask me, why did you write Sick to Death? Why did you write another book about terminal illness, but from a different angle? And I said, because I was hanging out with so many characters who were terminally ill in The Exit Man. I thought, what's it like to know you're going, you know, know you're going to die and realize you have nothing left to lose? What could you do with that? Like, if you were still healthy enough to kind of walk around and get things done. But yeah, there's a cliche. I'm going to go to Fiji. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to, you know, just do all these adventures. But what if, like, you're so sick and tired of all the crap going on, all the injustice and all the people getting away with murder. You could become a vigilante and with very little to lose. So that's, yeah, that's my dark side again. Like I, I always look at like, I mean, try to make the characters human, but also bring in the, something fresh and, and dark and humorous. Um, Gage, uh, I just thought about, I was so intrigued by terminal illness. <laughs> One reviewer read, stick to that gave me a like, really good review on Amazon and said, after reading Exit Man and Sick Death, it's hard not to worry about our, our author's health. Like <laughs> the fact that he wrote with a bunch of cancerous victims or cancer, you know, cancer, people with cancer and other terminal illness. I, I worry about Greg Levin's health. And I, it's probably one of the only reviews I ever responded to. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a good line in the description that basically says this group that their superpower is that they have nothing left to lose. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, and this won a, a, an independent publisher book award in Ippy. Yeah, actually, Exit Man did too. Exit Man, they both won silver awards. I was really thrilled with that. Um, and uh, I'm actually working on a pilot episode for Sick to Death. I think it could be because 
Exit Man's already been optioned and it made, you know, Hollywood's got it in its hands and made you something with it. I thought, why not, you know, why not try to package Sick to Death in a way which could, could capture some attention. So um, it's probably my funniest, it's the book that's probably the most uh, satirical and funny. Like it's, 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 a, I'm not, con- you know, I don't condone murder, but it is kind of where Exit Man is, this guy's the protagonist is breaking the law, but you're kind of, he's, he's doing kind of a noble thing. And in, in Will's clothing, what I talked about earlier, the sex trafficking, he's, he's helping you know, end self tra- uh, sex trafficking. Sick to death is just, it's a, it's a farcical romp, but also kind of like a, that revenge, get that, get that re- good revenge feeling to it. Well, and you brought up in Will's clothing, here's a guy who has to pose as arguably one of the worst kind of person on earth. I had the uh, extreme displeasure of, of, of having to deal with these kinds of individuals on a few occasions in my career. And they're just, they are, they're disgusting. They just are. I mean, they're just the worst kind of predator. And so this guy's going undercover to do that. You know, that that's as disgusting a job that is. And I would not want it. He's, I think he's heroic. And so, but, but there's a catalyst in there. He's not just doing this job, which is a horribly difficult job. Something happens that kind of turns the tables a little bit. Maybe you can share that. In the, in this type of job, so his name is Zero, Zero Slate. Zero and his cohorts, they just, you have to distance yourself from the girls. You, you, I mean, you're in the, you have to party with them. You just, you just can't, you don't look them in the eyes. You can't connect with them at an emotional level because if the, if the pimps see that, that you're making some kind of connection or any kind of gesture, it, it, you could all die. So they keep this, they keep this, detachment sense of attachment wait for the cops to come in then their job's done they try to just forget the faces of the girls because you can't get emotionally attached in this job but they're doing you know they're still helping them helping to save their lives um but yeah there's just one probably one of the youngest girls who's ever been at one of these parties just kind of latches when the cops break in she latches onto him and will not let go and, he, and he's like trying to get her off and but also not wanting to be rough with her and it was just after that so luckily she gets rescued uh, and then, but he can't forget her. He just can't seem to, because how young she was and he made eye contact, he just was le- looking deep into her eyes and just, the, she was like pleading, like, you know, please help me. It, it, it kind of changes everything for him and not necessarily in a good way because you have to be, you got to be sharp, you got to be focused in this job. And he's also got a problem with painkillers, which a lot of people in this type of work, mm-hmm. uh, I interviewed a guy extensively who, who was a jump team member they're called jump team members um he said most of us have a, uh, either recovering alcoholics or still battling addiction just to get through this kind of work so i don't know if i told you this but the, uh, my wife went on a humanitarian mission to cambodia to help build art centers for rescued oh. uh, children rescued from sex trafficking and she came i couldn't even go i wasn't even allowed to go because the men aren't allowed even on these grounds and she came home and i said oh you know she told me all about it really proud of her. And I said, I never asked, like, how do they get there? And that's how she's, and she's talking about the work that these men like Zero do. So there's a lot of emotion in this book. Um, it was great having a firsthand reference, being able to talk to, his name is uh, Rad Barrett. And uh, sorry, I get confused because the, the, yeah, one of the characters' names is Barrett, his first name. The guy, the real life guy is Rad Barrett. And he, uh, he's just an amazing guy. We're still in touch with him today. He, he said, you nailed the book. And it was just a, it's definitely my, my favorite book because it, it, I feel like it was a little more important than maybe some of my other books. 
Yeah, definitely is taking a little bit more of a uh, a serious tone too. Not that the first two weren't very serious, but they seem to have been laced with humor or handled with humor. And 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 here we have a little bit darker tone overall. Yeah, overall. And so when the humor comes in this darker novel, I think it's even more effective because it's like, mm-hmm. whew, you know, it's like you, you go from almost crying. I mean, I I can't even talk about the book without getting emotional because of all the things I learned that happened to these victims. It's just, I've got a daughter and it, it, you don't even have to have a daughter. It's if you're just human and you hear about things that, but people who readers who are listening, I don't go into details. There's no graphic descriptions. It's there's no scenes where things are happening to children. It's, it's all the, mostly the rescues, but there's definitely talk about statistics and things about what has happened, you know, how this happens and what can happen to some of these uh, mostly girls, it happens to young boys too. But um, yeah, I, people, I've heard one of my favorite things I get on Amazon or, or any any review is people, people say, I really didn't want to read this book or I was wary about this book or uh, I just, I, I've heard good things about this book, but I was so scared to open it because of what the subject matter is. It's a non-starter for some people. And then I love when I read, I'm so glad I read it. Uh, you know, it was handled tactfully, you know, you know, it was thrilling. It was rewarding. That that just really feels good. Like I feel like I I walked a tightrope. I walked on an edge and, and didn't slip. You know, it's it was a definitely my most challenging book to write. And it just feels good. To, it connects when it, when it resonates with readers the way I intended. Yeah, that's a good feeling to know that you you put the ball right where you wanted it. You know, and it, it was a difficult thing to do, but you managed it. You know, uh, bouncing from that very serious subject to something a little lighter. This may be the first time we've spoken in person and we are sharing a podcast, but very shortly we will be sharing pages. Yes. The title is Backroad Bobby and His Friends. It's a 509 crime anthology. Maybe you could set it up for readers so they know what the premise is. Yeah. So I was thrilled to be invited to be a part of this. Uh, I love a lot of the authors. All the authors are great writers. I, I, I know a fair amount of them. Eric Beatner and Nikki Dolson and of course, you, Frank, and lots of great writers uh, tied to this project. And it's basically there is a, a famed, um, infamous uh, getaway driver who and who, who's on his on his deathbed. He basically everybody who's ever been involved in as a in the criminal world in, in the Pacific uh, Northwest and particularly dry in, in like a, as a driver has been either mentored by this guy or is an enemy of this guy, but they all know who he is. Handbrake Hardy is the guy on his death, but he's the legend. And every story is just written in a way where they're trying to get to him uh, before he passes. And you don't know whether you know, some people are trying to go to pay their respects. Some maybe want revenge. I, when I was originally asked to write it, to join, I was like, I'm not really much of a car guy. I came up with a way to write about, my guy's like, amb- turns out he's an ambulance driver who actually took something from Handbrake without knowing who Handbrake Hardy was at the time he took it. And now he's, he wants to return it to him. And, uh, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, I'm not going to make this about just my story. What's the title of yours? Uh, Meat Wagon Mike's Change of Heart, which I just think is fun. Like, you have the word heart in there and also Meat Wagon. It's just, it's just you know, all the <laughs> Feels very visceral, yeah. So uh, Colin, Colin Conway is uh, he really liked the title, really liked the premise. So I was like, sweet, I'm I'm down because it's pretty much the only way I could have got I could have written about a driver was to write about and because I thought about writing a novel about an ambulance driver who steals from people, and I might still do that. The story, the story might actually be the beginning of it. But uh, yeah, I'm very excited about it. It it it's 
We're available for pre-order now. It launches on my anniversary. Uh, my 14th anniversary of marriage is uh, the 24th. And, uh, of course, the 24th here will be the 23rd there. So, really, in Australia, it launches the 25th. But, yeah, in America and uh, most other places, uh, May 24th. I love the cover. I love everything about it. I love the, I love the lineup. I like the, I love the premise. I think it's a really, I love that. It's the first time I've been giving that many uh, parameters. Like, and I think I, I want more of that. I kind of like being told, okay, you've got to do a story. Here's, here's some things you, that it has to have. Here's things you got to avoid. And like, it, it just takes away a lot of the fo- I used to think, oh, I love just being, being able to just use my creativity and come up with something completely out of the blue. And I do like that, but this was, this was a really good exercise for me. And, and like I said, I haven't been quite as prolific or as creative as I've been in the past since I've moved to Australia, just dealing with the move and all the disruption of routine. And this was, a uh, had a lot of fun with the story. Looking forward to hoping, hopefully readers will enjoy it as much as I enjoyed writing it. Well, we've kind of alluded to it a little bit, um, but uh, what's on the horizon? What's next? Do you have anything in progress? Anything in the can? Yeah, well, any day. it could be tomorrow, and it could be a year. It's you know, it's in the hands of uh, my agent's busting her her, her bum to uh, get a book. Out. I got into her. I didn't. I was unagented until just before COVID, and I got. I was so thrilled to get one of my favorite agents, Janet Reed, just before COVID. And then, of course, you know, I'm not going to say poor me because just to get an agent is fantastic. But, yeah, it's not ideal when you're not that well known of a writer yet. And then you're trying to go, you know, she has the challenge of, of uh, put it this way, lots of publishers are publishing books of writers who aren't that well known. But it's not like the uh, it's not as likely the major publishers going to take a chance on an unknown writer during when the pandemic was going on. They wanted like the sure, the sure bets. But uh, she feels very strongly about my the novel that she has in her hands. It's called Into a Corner. In the time since I finished that novel, I finished another novel uh, that I uh, sent to her, and, and she likes a lot. It has some notes, and I have another novel which is about three quarters of the way through, which I just stopped writing several months ago because I realized it's great to be ahead, but I just I don't want to get so far ahead where I'm like I keep writing books. The books will be might get published in 2030 and I'll be making references that don't make any sense anymore, <laughs> you know? So I spend more time with my dog, my wife, and, and honestly falling in love with short stories again. So, but yeah, I've got, set, you know, who knows? Uh, I know Janet's doing her, she, she's, the important thing to me is someone who loves and understands the publishing scene and, and loves crime fiction, loves my writing and, you know, I don't ever get upset with her because, you know, I haven't gotten a deal yet. She's, she, <laughs> she's great. And uh, soon will, someone will, someone will uh, take a chance. Uh, well, folks, uh, the author is Greg Levin. You can find him at greglevin.com. That's L-E-V-I-N, greglevin.com. He's got several books there. He'll be in Back Road, Bobby and His Friends, a new anthology from Original Ink Press, edited by Colin Conway, coming out here on May 24th, I believe. And uh, he is an American living down under. And I would I would strongly encourage you to check out his Twitter feed because it's well worth the uh, seven seconds a day that you'll spend reading. <laughs> Greg, I want to tell you thanks for coming on the show. Man, thank you, Frank. That was a blast. Appreciate it. All right. 
right, folks, there you go. Greg Levin writing some dark crime fiction with uh, some gallows humor in it. Uh, right up my alley. If it's up yours, give him a look. GregLevin.com. Uh, one of these guys that you uh, that you meet online and uh, think, oh, he's a cool guy. I hope he's cool in person, too, because uh, I like him. And then you meet him and you're like, oh, God, that's great. He is even cooler in person. Not let down at all. Uh, so that's always pleasant because sometimes it goes the other direction. If you want to check out the anthology that he mentioned, A Backroad of Bobby and His Friends, that is now available from Original Ink Press. This is the one that uh, Colin Conway edited that uh, Greg and I were talking about. Uh, my story in that one is called The Escape of Jimmy the Saint. Uh, and if you hurry, it might still be on 99 Cent Special. Uh, I don't know how much longer that's going to last. So depending on when you're hearing this, it may no longer be the case. But uh, if you're interested, you might be able to grab it at that low, low price. Uh, one other Zafiro update for you. It's uh, not really a Zafiro update. It's kind of more of a Frank Scalise update. But that's actually my real name. Uh, Frank Zafiro is my pen name for crime fiction. There's a story or two behind how that came about, but I'll save that for another day. Uh, but under Frank Scalise, I write uh, non-crime fiction stuff. And on June 7th, I have a book coming out called A Baker's Divorce. Baker's Divorce is about an aging rocker named Cal Baker who had a hit when he was 19 and he's been chasing that dragon ever since. He's done that by trying to delve into every major music trend as it's come along, usually behind the curve uh, in his timing. Uh, for instance, a disco song released in 1985, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, and Cal has been divorced 12 times along the way. His 13th wife has just told him she wants a divorce, which makes it a baker's dozen of divorces for Cal Baker. And this sets him on a bit of a quest to figure out, why does this keep happening to me? <laughs> so, as you can somewhat surmise from the nature of that question, uh, he's a little bit oblivious to a few things about himself. So this is a comedy and a drama, a Baker's Divorce by Frank Scalise. You can check that out if you like humor and a little bit of drama. All right, on the next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime, we're going to meet Jamie Mason. I met Jamie uh, almost 10 years ago at a conference and uh, have wanted to interview her since the show first started. So I'm glad it finally worked out that uh, schedules lined up. And she is going to talk about her three novels, all of which are mystery and suspense with uh, kind of an interesting approach in the way uh, the question that she asks herself when preparing to write a mystery. I'll let you find out what that is on the next episode. That's Jamie Mason. Next episode on Wrong Place or Right Crime. I want to say a big thank you to Greg Levin for getting up early in the morning down there in uh, Australia, making himself a Vegemite sandwich probably before we talked and, <laughs> and uh, talking with me uh, for this episode. Thank you, Greg. Uh, also, thanks to Down Out Books for uh, sponsoring the show. And of course, I always save the biggest thank you for last, that is to you, the listener. I really appreciate you giving me your time, and I hope that you enjoy the guests that I bring on the show. If you do, please check them out. Check out their work. Support them in any way that you can. I know that they will appreciate it, and I certainly do. Next episode, Jamie Mason. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to raid crime.